Welcome back to the Vine Church Podcast. Today, we are continuing our sermon series, Seeing Jesus, exploring the first nine chapters of Luke's Gospel. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Heart, and we'd love to have you join us over there. We're going through our series in Luke uh, chapter 8, and uh, we're reading from verse 26. So, I think the verses are there for you to look at on the screen, and if you've got a Bible, it's always good to have your own copy there as well for you to meditate on as we're speaking. So let's read Luke 8, and uh, starting in verse 26, it says that they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from from Galilee, and when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, He'd broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because of many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, They went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When these tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear, and so he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. And so the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. So we have this uh, very uh, probably well-known passage, and it comes, of course, in the context of Luke's gospel. We've actually already uh, seen in Luke's gospel last uh, Sunday when Nat was speaking excellently, by the way, I thought. Uh, he spoke really well, and in that context, he, I wonder if it's because it's in my pocket, is that... Uh, let me just try a different method of attaching it to myself, shall I? Uh, sorry about that. Let me just try again. Here we are. I think that might be better. Okay. Um, now, I was speaking last week of how, how Jesus calmed the storm that was raging when the disciples were in the boat and they were crossing over the Sea of Galilee. And we saw in that instant that despite the utter panic of the disciples, actually Jesus was in complete control of the storm and of the forces of nature. Now, this next passage in Luke, we see a different 
type of storm. This one is not raging all around, threatening to sink them for good, but this storm rages in the very soul of a man. And I was speaking to a person recently who was telling me um, a catalogue of terrible things that were happening in their life. It was really awful, just one thing after another, things not working out, glitches, hassles, issues, challenges. Uh, and after a, a few minutes, and, and I, I, I do know them quite well, so I'm allowed to be a little bit cheeky, I, I said, could, could you just stop there? Because if you tell me another bad story, I'm going to lose the will to live. This is just awful. I can't believe what you're going through. This is terrible. And at that point, they kind of said, well, actually, you know, I have got one bit of good news. Uh, I said, oh, good, I'd like to hear that. Uh, and so they said, um, well, I've stopped taking antidepressants now for two or three months, and I'm feeling fine. Uh, I said, well, that, that is great. Um, now, of course, why has my screen gone blank? Um, it's timed out. Let me try again. It's the first time I've tried to use, do it this way. So I'll have to sign back in. There we go. Never mind. I'll just have to have it sticking up like that instead. Um, so, uh, you know, now, obviously, the reality is it's not an issue that, you know, people need to use antidepressants and so on. But what was wonderful for, for this friend was that actually they were feeling strong on the inside, even though on the outside everything was going wrong. Uh, and, I, and I said to this person, you know, I'll pray that things do change for you and get better for you. But if you have to choose between one or the other, surely it's better that you are well within yourself um, so, uh, rather than that everything is well around you. For if all is going well around you, but you're not well within yourself, then that's not a good thing. At least if you are well within yourself, you're better placed to cope with the storms around you. And... Uh, I think that's right. Now, here we have this storm in this person's soul, which is surely the very worst place when someone is not in control of themselves and everything else is going to fall apart. And this person is in a terrible state, this poor man. It is an extreme case. We need to recognize that the situation he's in is quite an extreme one. And as we look at this passage, we could well think, you know, I don't really identify with this person. I mean, it's not exactly the way I am. I don't walk around naked in tombs, cutting myself with stones and that sort of thing. Uh, I'm not aware that anyone does around here. Um, it's quite an extreme case. But actually, as we read this passage, we can be encouraged that just as Jesus is in control, even in the worst storms of life, how much more is Jesus able to deal with an extremely troubled, tortured soul and therefore, he's able to deal with any troubles within our souls that we have, whether they be bigger or smaller ones. I would suggest, actually, that we do have a lot more in common with this man than we would like to admit. I would suggest that his troubled state has a lot more in common with the troubles that are endemic in our society and intrinsic within ourselves than we care to admit. I think that this man's condition is a graphic visualization of many of the destructive traits that are rife in our world today, and even in us. Now, as I say, it is an extreme situation. A couple of weeks ago, family, friends of ours and ourselves, we were on holiday, 
and uh, we went down to, one day we went down to a beach and we had to walk down these 150 steps down to this very secluded beach in North Yorkshire, a beautiful summer holiday, you know, with the kind of freezing and windy and we were going to just get in our wet suits and go and get freezing in the waves in North Yorkshire. It was, it was set up to be a great day. Uh, it ended up being a great day actually because we swam with seals, which was a huge surprise. But before we did that, as we landed on this beach, no one else really, really present, very, very few people, we started hearing shouting coming from a distance and uh, we're like, what's going on? And then this woman was shouting and screaming and she got closer and closer to us and she walked right up to our party and she was hurling pebbles at the ground. It felt as if she, almost towards us, but not at us, but she was shouting at us, she was abusing, she was just filthy language, she was screaming about all the terrible things that happened in her life, she was troubled, she'd lost everything. Um, you felt that it was almost impossible, the story she was telling us, they were so dramatically terrible. Um, but uh, obviously felt sorry for her, didn't know what to do, um, kind of felt maybe we should just actually not engage really with her at that point in time. Um, I did feel kind of a bit bad that maybe afterwards, yeah, Jesus had, would have engaged with her and dealt with her, uh, but we kind of felt that we should just maybe, maybe just not kind of get drawn in at that moment in time. I did take some comfort afterwards thinking in the Bible how Jesus, uh, sorry, the Apostle Paul was followed for several days by a woman who was possessed and he ignored her for several days until finally he got fed up and turned around and set her free. So, uh, you know, I felt uh, not so bad. But it was an extreme case. It was a terrible situation. Eventually, she did actually just melt away and disappear off into the, in, onto the beach somewhere. It was um, a strange situation. But and we very rarely see that kind of thing, don't we? If ever, I've never seen that kind of exactly like that before. But actually, do you know what? There are people today in respectable suits who say the right things, who look very conventional, and yet actually can be doing all sorts of self-destructive things to themselves and to other people, though they look like a respectable member of society. It tells us in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And therefore, it's not surprising if his servants masquerade as, serv as servants of righteousness as well. And so they can actually be, we mustn't judge on appearances. One thing I want to say about this passage is this, that we're not particularly as a church into kind of demons and dealing with possession and all that kind of thing in a big, big kind of way. And certainly we don't want to have the kind of Christian version of the magician that's obsessed with dark forces all the time. And that's the only thing we ever think about as a church. We'd much rather focus on Jesus. But this story does alert us to the very real reality of evil and supernatural evil. And we can't ignore it. I would like to miss this passage out, but actually it's there, and the Bible teaches us quite clearly that there are demonic forces that do destroy lives and destroy our world. And we only need to look at the extreme evil in our world today, the terrible things that humans do to one another, the atrocious, evil, demonic things that happen in our world today to see that this is a reality. Yeah, there are lots of good things in our world today that we can enjoy and celebrate, but society in many ways is 
out of control and people are out of their minds. And so we don't want to be like a magician obsessed with the devil, but nor do we want to be like a materialist who denies the existence of the devil, as C.S. Lewis puts it. But as we face the reality, we must face the bigger reality that Jesus is far more powerful than anything that can be hurled at us from the pits of hell. So what's the setting of this account? Well, it's placed, it tells us, in the region of the Gerasenes, which is kind of on the southwest side of the Lake of Galilee. And there was a town there, and then there was lakeside section spilling out from the town along the Lake of Galilee. Now, this was the area of the Gentiles. The Gentiles predominantly lived in this area, and from a Jewish perspective, this area would have been unclean. It had unclean pigs. It had unclean people, the Gentiles. And Jesus had crossed over a stormy lake to be there on mission to Gentiles. That's what Jesus came to do. Luke wants us to see that. Jesus crossed over to go on mission to the Gentiles. And we too are to cross over our comfort zones to go out to those who are not within our circles, to step outside. And that's what Jesus is doing. Now, what about the man's condition? What is the situation that he is in? Well, I would like to suggest a few things that are going on in this man's life. The first is dehumanization. Dehumanization. You see, man is made in the image of God. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, said this, the glory of God is a man fully alive. That's how we're supposed to be. As human beings, we, as we thrive, as we are integrated human beings, as we are whole human beings, as we are living out our humanity with the love of God within us, as we heard in that reading earlier, we actually reveal God's through who we are. That's what it's supposed to be like. We're supposed to be fully alive human beings glorifying God. And yet, Satan hates that. He hates that people should glorify God through living like him. And so he does everything he can to dehumanize humans, to make them less than what they were created to be. As New Testament scholar Werner Forster puts it like this, in most of the stories of possession, what is at issue is not merely sickness, but a destruction and a distortion of the divine likeness of man according to creation. Human beings distorted. This man reduced to a kind of an animal state, worse than animals. Animals at least look after themselves and they're, they're rational, but this guy has just lost everything. Second thing about him we see is his isolation. It tells us that he's withdrawn into the tombs. He's living amongst the dead rather than amongst living people. And he's isolated. This is one of the things that people end up doing to their own self-destruction if they're not careful. Uh, you know, 
I'm the first to say, people like to think I'm an extrovert. The reality is that I do like my own company. We all need space, don't we? We need time. We need to be sometimes on our own, and that's a, a good thing. But we can get into self-destructive patterns where actually we are withdrawn from people, from relationship, and from community. People can spend hours just sitting in their bedrooms, isolated from the world. Oh, yeah, but I'm connecting with everybody on social media. Yeah, okay, but it's not the same actually being with people. People, on the other hand, can be afraid of going back out again uh, after our terrible time we've had, and people can be afraid and anxious about being with people. I was speaking to someone the other day just saying, see if you can just take a step, see if you can just get to a garden centre. It's a good step towards being back with people because people are frightened. I understand that. But people are being held back from connecting again into community. You know, we need one another. We're, we were designed to be with one another, to be in relationship with one another. Those of you students who are going off to university, let me encourage you to get into community, get involved with things, find good, uh, healthy things to be involved with, you know, whether it's the CU or the church or other clubs and stuff. But get involved. We need to be part of communities. This guy is isolated. The third thing we see about him is degradation. There's kind of, it tells us that he has an unclean spirit. And it tells us that he is naked. And so really this guy has a, a filthy existence. Unclean probably means that it's just a filthy kind of unclean life that he's living. You know, I, we don't want to spend too much time thinking about it, do we? But it, you can imagine it's probably just filthy language coming out, maybe just unclean living, maybe sexual, whatever. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, just read this quickly uh, to you here. It tells us that... Um, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, or homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. But that kind of lifestyle that's described there is rife in our world, and it, it's, there's unmentionable things that happen in our world today. The, the filth, the uncleanness, the demonic behavior that takes place. Fourthly, this guy, it, uh, I think we can see that there is mutilation. Uh, it tells us in Mark's version of this account that he, night and day, would cry out in the tombs and in the hills and cut himself with stones. A strange thing that people kind of lose self sense of self-respect to the point where they get into, into self-destructive mode, cutting himself with stones. And, you know, people do that, don't they? People, people drink, they drink so obsessively that they're poisoning their own bodies, and yet they keep doing it. Why? 
people get into terrible habits, they, into psychological harm, into addictions, into, into porn, into overeating, into all sorts of things that actually are self-destructive of who they are. And we're supposed to be image bearers of God, but actually we lose sight of that. We lose sight of ourselves, our dignity as human beings, as made in the image of God, and we stop looking after ourselves. People kind of do things that are harmful towards themselves because they've lost any sense of self-respect as God's image bearers. And sometimes people get to a place where they can't help it. We know in this passage, this guy seems to be out of control, doesn't he? It's not that he has control over his situation right now. We don't know how he got into this state. Maybe he made bad choices earlier on, which led him slowly into a situation where now he is helpless. That's what can happen with people. They start out by just making small choices, but they're not good choices. And they can become in bondage to those things, and they can become more and more controlling in their lives, and so they cease to be in control. And uh, so that's, I suggest, what's happened to this man. And finally, I realize this is all very depressing on a Sunday morning. I'm sorry about this, but it's here, isn't it? So uh, we will cheer up in a minute, I promise. We will worship God again in a minute, and we will look at the wonderful truth of the gospel. But finally, let me just notice that this guy is suffering from fragmentation. It tells us that there was a legion. He was called Legion. And uh, the legion was a Roman uh, regiment of 6,000 soldiers. It's not saying that this guy had 6,000 demons in him or anything like that, but maybe he's just besieged by fragmented voices and, uh, and he's not integrated as a human being anymore. He's not a whole person. He's, he's just torn in different directions. It's all just a, a mess inside his soul. Poor guy. We get a real picture, don't we? of his state as we look at those characteristics, dehumanized, isolated, degraded, mutilating, and fragmented. But, of course, the wonderful news is that Jesus sets him free. And so we read in verse 31 that um, Jesus uh, had commanded the demons to leave him, and they begged him not to go into the abyss, and then there was a large herd of pigs that were feeding on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus to send them into them, and he gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now, at this point, of course, we all get completely distracted, don't we? Uh, at least I do. I mean, I can imagine community groups this week trying to talk about this subject, and I mean, I love animals, all right? So I, I, I don't like this either, all right? If you sort of, if you don't like it, I understand. I mean, there's a lot of bacon getting uh, sent into the sea there. And it, is, it, is a tr it is quite an unpleasant thing that we're reading here, isn't it? And we can ask all sorts of questions. You know, how can animals be possessed? And why would Jesus allow such use of animals? And what happened to the demons? And why did the demons feel compelled to dwell somewhere rather than roaming the earth? And all sorts of questions we don't understand. And the reality is the text doesn't give us an answer. But 
We could note that Jesus only gave them permission to go. They wanted to go. He just gave them permission. And we could note that the pigs reacted in the way they did rather than that Jesus sent them into the water. But really, to be honest, we're missing the point of the passage if we spend too long on those vexing questions. The point is a man is healed. A guy is set free. It tells us in verse 35 that they find him in his right mind, clothed and sitting with Jesus. Whole, integrated, back into community, in relationship with Jesus. Changed, transformed, calm, no longer destroying himself. Totally set free. What a wonderful, amazing transformation, isn't it? That we can see Jesus doing here. But the people... They don't really care about that. They're afraid of what's happened in this account. They come to Jesus and they ask him to leave the area. And chillingly, Jesus grants them their request. Why is it that they ask him to leave? Well, it says that they're afraid. Perhaps their businesses have been disrupted. This very big Pig business has just been disrupted. And they're saying, Jesus, you know, you're just disrupting our lifestyle here. I mean, yeah, there was a guy healed, but this is just too much. We don't, we don't want everything to change. We, don't, we can't cope with this power that's going to disrupt our lives. And so they ask him to leave. And Jesus grants their request. It's a tragic thing that Jesus gives people what they ask for sometimes. He lets them have what they want, even though it's not for their own good. He leaves people if they choose not to have him. And there's a poet that's put it like this. They say, uh, this is the poem. It goes like this. Rabbi, be gone. Thy powers bring loss to us and ours. Our ways are not as thine. Thou lovest men, we swine. Oh, get you hence omnipotence, and take this fool of thine. His soul? What care we for his soul? What good to us that thou hast made him whole, since we have lost our swine? If people don't want to be disturbed, they don't want to leave their ways, their habits, even if they're not good for them, they want to stay as they are. They don't welcome the freedom that Jesus is willing to give them. Isn't it sad? Isn't it ironic that that's what happens? I was speaking just this week at an event, and there were quite a few non-Christians present there, and I was sharing the gospel. And I, I pray and I trust and hope that there were some who were hearing and listening. It's, you, know, you could see people engaging, you praying that someone's getting hold of this message you know that there are many there who will just listen. And though they like it, they'll go away and they won't allow it to change them. And you think, how sad that you had that opportunity. And yet you said, Jesus, no, go away. It's not for me. And this is what happens when Jesus comes on mission. This is the parable of the sower acted out. The seed takes root in some Sometimes the least promising, this man who is such a mess, but the seed takes root in him and bears fruit in this wonderful change. 
but for others, it falls on deaf ears. They like it, but they don't really let it take root and produce a harvest. The worries, the pleasures of life smother the seed. The irony, of course, is that whilst the crowd asks Jesus to leave and he gives them what they ask for, the man asks Jesus if he can go with him and Jesus denies him permission to go with him. But the reason is that he asks the man to stay and be a witness to the town, to proclaim Jesus and the gospel to those that he lived with. I love a book that uh, Greg gave gave to me uh, a while back called Warriors of Ethiopia. It's about, uh, it's right by an Australian missionary called Dick McKellum. And in this book, we read of a number of evangelists from the Walaita tribe in southwestern Ethiopia who wanted to take the gospel to other tribes in the Gopher region. The men moved their families to Gopher. They rented land. They built houses. They planted crops. They had new neighbors in. They spoke the gospel to them. Some received the Savior. Prayer houses were built. Worship began. But too many changes took place. Converts no longer frequented witch doctors, no longer, pay, no longer paid the priest tax to the orthodox priests. They no longer slipped bribes to government officials for favors. And so the police lieutenant arrested the evangelist, Atero, chained his wrists together, clamped his ankles together in heavy iron rings so that he could only hop and not walk. And he paraded Atero in front of the market day crowd to make it clear that this is what happened to any who followed the new religion. And he ordered Atero, go back to Elita and take your Jesus thing with you. We don't want your Jesus here. Then Atero hopped forward and said, oh, sir, listen, please listen. I can go, but the gospel will stay. By the power of God, I planted Jesus in Gopher. He is planted in the hearts and souls of the Gopher people. I can go, but Jesus will stay. And he goes on to say, this is the greatest defiance of the gospel to the crabby rulers of this age. People can send Jesus away, but we, his people, can be his presence in the community, bringing the good news of the gospel to the rose around us. Let's be those people, folks. Let's make sure that we ourselves are walking in freedom. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. We ask you, is there anything that's just destroying you living life to the full? If there's anything that's getting in the way, let Jesus deal with it. Don't stay in self-destructive mindsets, in fears, in anxieties, in, in issues, in habits, in addictions, in anything that is keeping you in a place of isolation or alienation or fragmentation. Don't allow those things to destroy the life that we're supposed to be able to live to the full, to the glory of God. Jesus says, today, you can be free. We should respond to this. We can live in the freedom of this man who was 
fully clothed, sitting in his right mind next to Jesus, enabled to go forward and be a witness to Christ, to his town. That's what we're supposed to be. And that's what God's called us to be. And so I want to encourage you today, even if there's little things that are disturbing you, that are troubling you, that give you difficulty. Maybe you have bad nightmares. Maybe you experience situations that just disturb you. You think, oh, I don't like it. I don't want this in my life anymore. It's not good for me. It's not helpful. Well, we can just pray for you. You know, even as we're singing, you can just reach out to God and ask him to move in you. And and he can help you. He can meet with you. He can change things, things that have just dogged you for years, things that have pressured you and, and, and just taken away, eaten away at the enjoyment that you have of living with God. You know, God can set you free. He can, it can be an instant thing. Sometimes it can be a process. Sometimes it can take some help and some support from people. But either, whatever way, he can get you moving forward into greater joy and freedom. And so let us pray as we respond. Lord God, we thank you this morning that we come to a powerful, living God who died on the cross to destroy the works of the evil one and who rose from the dead victorious over all powers and authorities. And we look to you now. Thank you that you've poured out your Holy Spirit so that now, Lord, we can live in the freedom of the sons of God. I want to ask you today that we would be a people who are free indeed. I pray for any right now who have anxiety, who have fears, who are struggling with things, maybe through their own choices, maybe through things that have happened to them by others. But Lord, we thank you that you come gently to us. You come compassionately to us. You don't come to judge us. We can come just as we are this morning and you receive us and you welcome us and you, you say, come to me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. Lord, I pray, I pray for the peace of God to rest upon people today. I pray for the freedom of the Spirit to be at work in our lives so that we can be witnesses to those around of the freedom that you bring. I ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.